Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnett Cast. I'm Tony Kinnett and my goodness, it is great to be with you this fine December evening uh, because everywhere else in the country, it's not so great. Well, yet again, what a fantastic night to be a Hoosier. Uh, it's not a fantastic night to be in Congress because President Joe Biden is in serious trouble. And he's in serious trouble for a number of reasons. The first reason that Biden is in trouble is that he is not going to be able to get people to come out and vote for him in 2024. The numbers just aren't there. The last election was a referendum on Trump. A lot of Trump's social issues had a lot of people flustered. People thought Biden was going to be some kind of return to normalcy, that everything was going to be totally fine if we just elected some old labor Democrat whose name we'd heard back during the Obama administration all the time. And uh, now that Biden has run the country, or at least whoever uh, tells Biden what to do on that fancy little checklist of his he trots out at every almost press conference, um, that entire system has been a complete failure. So now you have people who voted for Biden or who didn't vote in the 2024, or excuse me, who didn't vote in the 2020 election saying that the economy is so terrible. They have so little money. The, the job market is very weird. The housing market is like very flip-flop upside down uh, that they would do anything to once again have cheap gas, cheap food, goods on the table, no supply chain issues, and just kind of go back to the Trump administration. Uh, Again, not only the uh, economy, but also foreign affairs. Um, The Biden administration's foreign affair policy is disastrous. And in the Republican bait, you had people kind of debating whether war hawkishness, kind of the the Nikki Haley, we need to be everywhere at once, or maybe the more Vivek Ramaswamy isolationist perspective is the way to go. And I'm going to tell you a secret. You don't actually have to make that choice in the 2024 election. And the reason is because whether it's Vivek Ramaswamy on the isolationist perspective, whether it's Nikki Haley on the be involved in every country on the face of the earth perspective, if a nation or a group of people with a Republican president were to attack a U.S. naval vessel or were to imprison U.S. individuals in their country, that Republican administrator would do everything in their power to deliver hellfire and damnation upon whatever poor, sad, sorry country decided to mess with citizens of the United States. You say, how do you know this, Tony? Because during the Trump administration, Trump dealt with any threats to any individual in the United States with very serious retribution. This is the man who tweeted out pictures of the American flag right before a missile struck uh, a leader in ISIS. And Biden's policy proposal, remember, the adults are back in charge is the thing that his administration was pushing out when he was elected in 2020, uh, has been disastrous because Biden's basically Biden's policy is to do nothing. And, And I do mean to do nothing. And so we have a president who is a stiff piece of paper being blown over in the international wind. I don't care whether you're isolationist. I don't care whether you're a neocon war hawk who thinks the United States should police the world. Regardless, a weak America fits into neither of those. A president, the commander in chief, the leader of the free world needs to make sure that the United States doesn't look embarrassingly weak 
Now you have Venezuela threatening to uh, invade Guyana. You have the Israel-Hamas conflict. Russia invaded foreign uh, countries during Obama's administration with regard to Georgia and Crimea, and then now has invaded Ukraine in the Biden administration. Now you have China. This is from the Washington Post today, confirmed by other sources, which you kind of have to clarify when it's from the Washington Post, confirming that China's official uh, military intelligence departments and its state-run military division for technology and infrastructure have invaded United States infrastructure plots, resources, and systems. They have invaded systemic points in China's uh, targets on Hawaii. So now there are Hawaii water and electrical systems that are completely under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. They have infiltrated that far. Not to mention trying to infiltrate the Texas independent power grid system, uh, causing what we now suspect are official attacks on the Western power grid and several water infrastructures. And all of this is to do one thing. If China can turn off your internet, your power, and your water, then the U.S. is going to have its hands a little bit full while China invades Taiwan, Japan, the perhaps South Korea, and establishes any kind of East Asian hegemony that it desires. And to be clear, China seeks this very outcome. They've said it openly time and time again. It's what Iran and it's what Russia want. Because what Russia wants is for the United States to be preoccupied with its own chaos and its infrastructure systems so that it can fight in Ukraine and so that it can fight proxy wars in the Middle East with Iran. The new axis of evil is Iran, Russia, and China. And they are working against the United States at every possible angle. From the Chinese government, this is an act of war. Why do they feel like they can get away with this? Because our president is a dementia-ridden old fool. And he is not reigning over the free world as the United States president is supposed to do. He's not keeping the waterways safe. He's not even protecting our own citizens. It is a horrifying thought to know that the Chinese now have greater power over Hawaii than the Japanese did right before Pearl Harbor. The Japanese couldn't turn the power off uh, in Pearl Harbor before uh, their bombing attack on December 7th. China now has the ability to do so. And if you want to stop the U.S. Pacific Fleet from communicating effectively, shutting off the power in the water in Hawaii is a very good start. You say, how do you know that? Because I was in Hawaii very recently and I talked to individuals who that was a serious and primary concern. The cell networks in these regions are paper thin. You already know what it's like if you have AT&T or Verizon in the state of Indiana. Some of you live out in areas that aren't inside 465 and you know that your cell phone struggles to find tower service at times. And that is a very easy thing to disrupt with just a small bit of interference, much less shutting it off completely. But it doesn't look like, despite those two issues, that that's even Biden's worst problem at the moment. Biden's most consistent issue right now is that the U.S. Oversight Committee in the House has found serious, serious problems with the president of the United States leveraging his son in foreign business relationships to manipulate U.S. foreign policy measures during the Obama administration. So it does, in fact, now look like the president of the United States directly intervened with Hunter Biden's business associates and organizations like Burisma in the Ukraine in order to change United States policy to benefit corrupt individuals and oligarchies, much like a certain senator did with the nation of Egypt. That'd be Senator Menendez from New Jersey. 
This is a serious issue, but it doesn't even look like, even though we are well past what are crimes and misdemeanors that are outlined for an impeachable offense, it doesn't even look like Republicans are going to be able to impeach Biden because Kevin McCarthy's leaving at the end of the year because of Matt Cates' incredible clown show. We have a two-Republican lead after this year in the House. I don't know if you know this, but there is no way a two-Republican lead is going to impeach Biden. We can't even impeach Mayorkas regarding the border. And so now we have to sit here and and grimace and kind of wince as the United States basically drops the ball at the two-yard line. We're going to be stuck with this inept fool who is causing chaos on the world stage because we can't even get our stuff together to win basic elections. But the Biden administration is trying its best to throw 2024 in the trash can because now we find out that Hillary Clinton is one of the Biden administration's chief campaign advisors. Uh, According to MSNBC uh, and uh, Sarah Fortinsky, as well as Dominic Mastrangelo uh, from organizations like the Associated Press, the uh, Hillary Clinton team is getting behind Biden because I guess when it comes to losing to Trump, uh, there's no better expert than Hillary Clinton. So 2024 is going to be an absolute mess. It really is anyone's game to lose. Up next, we're going to be talking to Jeremiah Clark. Uh, an evangelist who is currently struggling with cancer, uh, because it's time that we tackle very directly that question of uh, if God is a good God and if God is all powerful, then why does he allow good things or why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? You want to catch that next. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Uh, it's, it's been a good year. And uh, I know it, since 2016, you know, we're in like the, what is it? The eighth, ninth year of, of 2016. Um, I know it's, it's kind of getting frustrating with all of the, the nonsense. But this year we've accomplished quite a bit. Namely, a lot of organizations that have been, you know, caring more about what some 20-year-old barista with blue hair thinks rather than the individuals who would really prefer to shop there as they had for decades, uh, have really felt the sting of the free market. Uh, there have been a lot of great boycotts this year. And uh, it's great because when you think of some of the boycotts that the left maybe has attempted on the right, I think of Chick-fil-A that because uh, it's anti-gay chicken, I, I guess, I, news to me, uh, that had um, ended up driving Chick-fil-A's sales higher. I was nervous uh, this year when, uh, after Bud Light's kind of earlier shenanigans, uh, I didn't know if the boycott was going to go through. And Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch, lost $14 billion. Uh, they were, had it reached a point where they couldn't even give the beer away for free. It was sitting outside in parking lots, kind of rotting away. Uh, well, you know, beer doesn't rot, but the pallet underneath them was rotting away um, as the Bud Light waited for the garbage man to come and pick it up. And the reason that boycott was successful is because there was an easily obtainable, similarly priced, similar or better quality product nearby that those who wanted to drink a beer at the end of the day could go and find. And the 
interesting part of that is that kind of governs all boycotts. So a lot of organizations, people really want to boycott. So Disney's involved in some really shady, weird stuff. But people say, well, where else am I going to go to get a lot of the entertainment that I enjoy? I, you know, you have to go to uh, Disney Plus now to watch any of the Disney shows that you want. Even if you bought certain Disney movies on Amazon or on iTunes back in the day when I was in middle school, I purchased a Pixar's Up on Apple for some reason. And you can't get those now. Disney has repossessed uh, all of the media online platforms, uh, purchases that people had. Basically, Disney kind of flipped it around and said, well, you don't actually own this. You were just renting this digital footprint for a while. So where are people going to go to get their entertainment? And it's kind of difficult just to suggest that everyone should go out and get a DVD player and get as many old DVDs as you can so that you're not subscribing to these predatory subscription models. But I'm really optimistic because it seems like in the next couple of years, the opportunity for other individuals to compete in what has traditionally been kind of a closed space for those that don't have all of the equipment and the marketing money and all of these other massive uh, resource factors in play, you're actually seeing people start to compete with the big dogs. So the number one movie streaming in the country right now is the basketball comedy Lady Ballers from The Daily Wire. Uh, Their uh, children's app, Bent Key, which has a lot of different cartoons and and children-themed entertainment that is very absent of any kind of politics, is surging right now in popularity because we are seeing easily accessible alternatives to things that people don't like. Boy Scouts, which is now basically allowing anybody at all uh, to be a Boy Scout and things are getting kind of weird over there. A lot of equity initiatives and anti-white stuff and also possibly some anti-Jewish and anti-Asian stuff going on because, you know, Boy Scouts, what it really needed was to be woke um, instead of a replacement for the really awful popcorn that they sell to try to compete with the Girl Scouts. Uh, Trail Life USA is an alternative to the Boy Scouts that is growing rapidly. And as things like that start to grow rapidly, there are more chapters available around the country. People are starting to participate in those programs and you start to see the market shift in that direction. Uh, Even in cell phone providers and and multimedia uh, throughputs like internet service providers, because of the way that cell phone towers are orchestrated, because of the popularity of things like Elon Musk's Starlink, we're actually starting to see alternatives to things that we never really thought that you would ever be able to move in. Like we thought that the big three cable and telecom companies were just kind of rule the roost in the early aughts and no one was ever going to be able to challenge them. And unless the government came in and split those organizations up, it was going to be terrible. And it turns out that's, that's not the case. We are actually seeing advancements that are either forcing companies to back down. That's what Disney's currently facing. Disney kind of softly backed away from the culture war in August and September, and then they continued to get pummeled not only at uh, on the streaming service market, but also their parks as well. It turns out that photos of grown sweaty dudes dressed up as princesses as official Disney staff members talking to your kids kind of gross. People don't want to go and see that. Also, um, I, I know that there are a lot of people who like going to Disneyland, but when you're paying like eight grand for a trip for like a family of four or five um that's a little ridiculous just again the roller coasters aren't that good i'm sorry the rides at king's island and cedar point are far better than any of disney's rides um the best thing that disney has going for it is like epcot and like the traveling around to the different regions but if you just go to any international food festival you'll get way better food at a way cheaper price 
um, and food that doesn't food and drinks that don't burn like battery acid going down. There are starting to be alternatives that are more widely known and celebrated now. And the reason that I, I bring this up is that we are finally starting to see an alternative to the American university system. And that is huge. It's fantastic. With Harvard and with uh, Princeton, with Yale, with Penn out of the Ivy Leagues now into a lot of state universities that have dabbled in a lot of this anti-Semitic nonsense. In fact, there's going to be an investigation that I'm releasing later this week about an Indiana school that's also participated in a lot of this really disgusting foolishness, all to produce subpar graduates. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of a secret. I have two master's degrees from Ball State University, one in curriculum development and one in education technology, and they were both giant wastes of money. There was a professor, a Dr. Ford, that I had while I was at the university who did nothing for like six to eight weeks. I was talking to friends of mine who were in the class with me. She would disappear off the face of the earth. I mean, really, we'd have this big, difficult syllabus that she'd submit. And we would say, wow, that's a lot of work. And then about week two, she would just vanish off the face of the earth until about a week before the end of class. And she would pass us all. It was an enormous waste of money. That's the university system today. You're not learning very much in a university system. I did 90% of my learning under um, Mr. Jones at Try High when I was doing my student teaching. That's and Try High, by the way, is a very phenomenal school district. They, they give their teachers power and they support their parents. So it's a fantastic district. And I learned so much on the job from him on the day to day in the same way that that nurses and doctors learn a lot of their work when they're actually on the job doing the tasks. Apprenticeships are far more valuable than university bachelor's and master's degrees, which is why we are now seeing a massive rise in organizations, big and small, hiring firms, talent agencies, all the way down to uh, kind of the technical engineering field trade positions that are hiring high school graduates and training them on site rather than hiring university individuals who took a women's studies course on how many vaginas Cleopatra had. A high school diploma with a mind that is willing to be trained is far more useful than someone that is going to lecture you on what pronouns you've used in the email chain. And that is becoming more common in American society. This is the life after the boycott. Because Jewish donors, Christian donors, and many other individuals around the country are pulling tens of millions of dollars from these factories of foolishness. Forget the indoctrination. The education is just subpar. You're not learning any kind of a valuable work ethic. You roll out of bed at 10 a.m. to wander in hungover to this class where the professor gruels on for 15 or 20 minutes and then closes class early. That is a modern American liberal arts education, and it's a waste of time. That's why you're seeing private schools and Christian university and Christian universities on the rise. If you're going to go to college, at least the money that's spent should be worth something. And I'm sorry, but but going to a dance theory elective at Indiana University isn't preparing you for a career. And so that is a great thing to look forward to as we start to move away from one of the biggest behemoths of failure and mediocrity in the American education system. Up next, we're going to be taking a few questions that have been stacking up in my inbox from listeners. You're listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. It's the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnicast on 93 WIBC. Uh, quick reminder, uh, you can find the rest of the interview. It's actually about 45, 50 minutes long uh, with Jeremiah Clark and his story uh, of his faith through his struggle with cancer uh, later on on the podcast. So you can find that on Spotify, Apple, any other place you get your casts. As a quick reminder, you can tune into the live stream on Twitter, which is shockingly to me where a bulk of people um, are tuning in and it surprises me because it's I think it's actually broken some live stream records a time or two Allison you out there I am uh, do you actually do we have like a, a station record for how many people have tuned in for like a, a live stream on the on the show uh, I don't think so well we need one because I need to Let's know what to be tonight. that yeah that's that's that that's the goal um, and of course, we're also over on youtube.com slash WIBC. Uh, you can catch a lot of our stuff there. The live stream chat is pretty uh, special, let's say. And from that, uh, actually, with the last few minutes tonight, I wanted to answer a few questions that I have been, that people have been knocking at my door to answer. Um, the first is who is my favorite host on WIBC? Who else out there do I think is just truly fantastic? And the answer might surprise you. Um, because honestly, I, th- I think it's, it's Casey. It's Casey. It's Casey Daniels. I love Rob. I love Nigel. I love Hammer. Um, Hatcher's great. Tony Katz, uh, I annoy, and that gives me an incredible joy. Um, but I love Casey because she cackles with me uh, over Trump trading cards, and especially because she's one of the other people who is uh, kind of outside the loop of Indianapolis. Uh, And I just I love Indianapolis. I love the people that are in the suburbs of Indianapolis. Um, But someone who understands how the rest of the state works, you know, some of her stuff from up in South Bend really means a lot. Uh, Next question is, what book do I think that every senior in high school should read? I'm going to surprise a few people with this one. It's Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. It is nothing like the movie that came out in the 90s, which is a fantastic kind of satire parody movie in its own right. Uh, Starship Troopers is the only book of fiction that is recommended reading uh, by the U.S. Army for its officers. Um, It is a phenomenal book that uh, is quite timeless. It's amazing how well he predicted a lot of technological advancements. But most important, I think he derives a real sense of duty that uh, seniors in high school need to understand. Uh, It's an excellent book. Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers came out in 1959. It has probably replaced The Count of Monte Cristo as my favorite novel. And uh, for those that know me, that's saying something, because I actually have like a very fancy uh, kind of golden embossed Count of Monte Cristo up here in the studio. Uh, One of the other questions that is up tonight is uh, a lot of people say the Bible is not reliable. It's been translated so many times. And, you know, what's your response to that? My response to that is pretty simple here. Quick in the last few minutes, the Bible has been translated uh, just a few times. It is written in uh, Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic. And all of the old scrolls that we find, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, confirm that they have been carefully translated basically word for word and letter for letter. No issues at all. It has not been translated multiple, multiple, multiple times. That is a myth. This has been the Tony Kinnicast. Make sure to catch the rest of the episode on the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Feels like I'm losing it. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. The most common question that I hear uh, whenever someone's trying to question the existence of God, uh, whenever they're trying to dispute the idea of God, they say, well, if God is all-powerful and you say God is, is good, then why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or why would God allow... Uh, terrible things to happen to people that serve him and, and love him and things like that. Joining us this evening is Jeremiah Clark. Uh, he is an evangelist, former pastor, former dean of men out in the Carolinas, and uh, I've known him for a long time. And uh, Jeremiah, thanks for hopping on with us. Thank you, Tony. Uh, I really do appreciate this opportunity, and it's always great to talk to you. Oh, well, that's uh, your check's in the mail. Uh, so <laughs> kind of to start things off, what has been going on in the last couple of months um, that's kind of thrown everything in your life out of whack? I think that you can just tell it best. So uh, almost a year ago, actually, uh, I started paying attention to some symptoms that I was having in my life that I didn't think were a big deal. And I just said something to my wife and she said, that's not normal. And so that sent me on a process of going to the doctor. Blood work looked good, but there was uh, still some questions. So um, he sent me to a specialist and I was diagnosed with colon cancer in May. And yes, it turned my life upside down. My life uh, basically consists of traveling and speaking in churches and camps and conferences. And uh, that was off the table. I had to spend, you know, weeks in the doctor's offices with appointments and tests. And uh, there's always that question of, what are, what are they not telling me? Right. And you kind of look back and you can realize, you know, I, at the time I was like, why do I have two CT scans? Why do I have two MRIs? Why, why, why do I have this test? And uh, it was, I ended up being uh, diagnosed with stage three. And so at stage three, they're, they're trying to figure out, are you stage four? And uh, you, nobody really wants to be in that fourth stage. And right. uh, fortunately I was stage three, but um. You know, there are questions, you know, why does this happen? And it, it brought me back. I have a, a pastor friend that passed away a couple of years ago. He and I went to college together. He, he, he died at 39 years old, but he went in the hospital at 36. And um, it wasn't cancer for him. It was something else. But he was successful. I know him. I had known him personally for probably 20 years. And his character was as, as good as you can get. Um, and that's why he was successful in ministry. Everybody loved him and he loved, he loved people. He was a children's pastor, assistant pastor at a larger church in Georgia. And one of the questions came out, why him? Why, why did he go through this? Mm -hmm. Why did he die? Why did, why did God take him? Because you look at these things and one of the things you have to say is this is not an accident. God is in control and you can't ever let your mind, if God's not in control, then he's not in control, but he is. And so whether his situation or my situation, that's one of the things you have to go to. God is in control. Well, does that mean I blame God? Does that mean it's his fault uh, that I'm going through this? Uh, does that mean that God doesn't like me? We're, I'm tempted to ask that from time to time. Uh, but that I have to go back to, is that, is that what God's word says? 
that God doesn't like me? No, he loves me. He loves me enough to send his son from heaven to come down to me, for me, so that I could spend eternity with him, so that my sin can be forgiven with his payment on the cross. That is ultimate love. He said himself, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So I know that that's true. And God gives us uh, some of these answers. And, uh, you know, part of me says, who am I to answer this question? This, this Greater minds than mine have have attempted to answer this question. But and it is difficult. But that's precisely why I wanted to talk. Because I know that I can go and I can listen to Dennis Prager um, or and on the more political side. <clears throat> or I can go and pull some you know, super duper eight doctorates in theology who can, you know, sit here and, and you know, parse the Koine Greek and the Hebrew on the air. And but give often me some... that's not practical, is it? Well, no, because the people who listen to the show are average regular people. I like to yeah. think that I'm an average regular guy in rural Indiana. So I figured a regular guy telling a regular story is a far better way to communicate an sure. answer like this. Sure. Um yeah, and I definitely feel like a regular person myself, and I don't have those doctorates. Um, but I do have, we do have biblical answers. And one of the things that's helped me is to realize that I have no hope outside of the hope that God gives me, the, the hope that I have in Him. Uh, financially, I mean, my, my finances were... 100% supplied by what I could do outside the house, traveling or even construction. And, and that's gone. None of that. It's not possible through, through chemo. I wasn't doing anything. I couldn't do anything. And radiation is five days a week. And there's side effects from that, that just prevent me from, uh, I can't travel and, uh, you know, I can't, I can't hold down a job. Well, how, mm -hmm. how am I going to provide for my family? Right. Uh, but my hope was in God and here I am, six months later, and we haven't had a financial issue the entire time. God has, through his people, it's been it's been amazing. From people I don't even know, uh, many people I don't even know, churches I don't know, have have supplied for us. Well, here's another question. I, I thought early on, what about my family? What if I don't survive? Who's going to take care of my family? And uh, my wife said, well, you know, she was thinking about that, and she had this little solution. And not that that would happen, but... I thought, you know what? It's going to be okay. And I had to come to these, this, this, this thought. If I say, God, you can't let me die because I got to take care of my family. What I'm saying is that, God, I can do it better than you can. But I have to trust that if I were to die, that God can take care of my family better than I can. That's the reality of it. I have to trust him that he can take care of them. And can he? Well, absolutely. Uh, and so my family, financial, what about my future? Well, you know, there's times that you say, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't know if this is it for me. Well, mm -hmm. I have an eternal hope that I can't have outside of God. There, there's no amount of money. It, even if I had billions of dollars, I can't pay for the, the best doctors. I could with that, but that's not going to, that's not going to fix things. I, I think right. of somebody that I knew of that had hundreds of millions they died of cancer because they couldn't fix it. Money won't buy that. Money won't make sure that your family is parented correctly. My kids are parented correctly. Money doesn't answer that. Uh, friends can't fix my future, but God can. And so I can rest in that. And God gives us examples. He gave us Job. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day. 
how that Job is the everyman. Uh, he's not even Jewish. He's just this guy. And he's intended for us to be an example. I mean, he lost 10 children. He lost all of his money. He lost everything in one day. And one of the reasons for that is for us to be able to like, well, who's going to go through anything worse than that? Mm-hmm. Who's going to lose? I mean, losing one kid is worse than what I've been through, hands down. Uh, but he lost 10 at one time and everything. Yeah, everything and yet he, he made burned it through. to the ground and then diseased yeah. on top of it. Yeah. And yet he's, what God says about him after that day was, look at my servant Job. He still maintained his integrity. Literally, the word means he's maintained his perfection before me. Does that mean that Job was sinless? No, it simply means that Job was everything that God wanted him to be in his life. And it tells us early on that one of those reasons was because in case he'd sinned, in case his children had sinned, that they were going to set sacrifices and they were going to do what they could to uh, to be right with God. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Job was doing, everything he could to be right with God. And God says, look, he still maintained this. And part of that was because Job had this statement. He said, naked came I into the world, naked I'll return thither. The Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was that was the one thing he said about his tragedy. And after God said saw that, God said, look, he's maintained his integrity. And that statement, it says several things. One is, God doesn't owe me anything. And one of the things that that question is, why do bad things happen to good people? It assumes that God owes me something. Right. God owes my life to be good. But Job actually told his wife, he said, uh, shall receive, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? And he's not saying wickedness by evil. He's saying, shall we only receive good things and not bad things? Is, is God, does God owe us something? And that naked came I in and naked I'll return. Job's saying, I didn't choose when I come into the world. I'm not going to choose when I go out. I really don't have much control about what God allows me to have in my life and when he takes it. But the Lord gives. Look at all that the Lord gave me. And the Lord takes away. I, He doesn't have to let me have it. And I appreciate that from Job. Who says that I have to live 85 years before I die? Hmm. Who says that? It's not my expectancy for life. I don't know what God's going to give me. And And who says that I have to have a healthy life? my entire life, or a financially blessed life. I don't, but God is still good. A thought that has come to my mind is part of the the negativity with a disease, with the loss of family, should be, instead of looking at the negative, one of the things it does for us is it highlights how good God is. Mm. I would not have seen the goodness of God this last year in the same way. In fact, I could say this. I've never been loved by my church, any church that I've been in, in such a way as this. Uh, because I've never needed to be. I've never, I've never had major health problems. I've never had major need. But because of this, people that know us from all across the country have reached out to us with words, with cards, with gifts, with, with, service. I mean, all kinds of people. I have so many people that have said, Jeremiah, if you need anything, just call me. We'll make it happen. And I haven't needed to. 
uh, it it's overwhelming uh, the love that we've had from people. People just come and visit. People to come talk. Um, but that's the goodness of God showing through people, and that's exactly what God wants us to do. But it's been a tremendous help. And as a believer, uh, there are several things that has uh, helped me. Uh, God tells it in the New Testament reasons why people go through these things. Uh, I think about Hebrews. He says, if you're a child of mine, you will receive chastisement. You will receive scourging as a possibility. So correction is one reason why we may go through difficult times. Um, Paul said that he had a thorn in the flesh. But he said, the reason I have this thorn in the flesh is because God has given me an abundance of revelations. And actually twice in the same verse, he says, um, so that I am not exalted above measure, so that I'm not lifted up in myself because, oh, look at these revelations that I have. I have more knowledge than the average apostle. Uh, God says, no, I've given you this thorn in the flesh so that in your weakness, you are not lifted up in pride, uh, that you, that, that my, Grace is sufficient for you in this time frame. And so I look at that and say, and Paul said, so I'm, I'm going to glory in the fact that I have an infirmity, that I have a weakness, so that the power of God can rest on me because I don't want God's gifts to me to get in the way of what he's trying to do through me. And so sometimes difficulties are to help us to be humble. Uh, sometimes uh, Jesus was walking by a blind man and the disciples said, hey, why is this guy blind? Is it because of sin in his life or is it because of sin in his, in his parents' life? Because they had this assumption that somebody must have done wrong for bad things to have happened, which sure. was actually Job's friend's thoughts. It's like, right. Job, yeah, you must have done something. Clearly you goofed big time yeah. and that's why this is happening. Because this is obviously from God. I mean, you, you right. can't get away from that, Because if God punishes sin, then the only reason that you could go through something bad is if God's punishing right. your sin secretly. And that's right. That's some of the assumption that comes in that question is, is why do bad things happen? Because... Well, clearly it's because there's bad things in someone's life. No, that's that's not true. Uh, but God said about, Jesus said about this, this blind man, I've allowed this in his life so that the works of God could be manifest. And when he does heal him, he goes to the, the religious leaders of that day in the temple and and, you know, they're questioning him, who did this? And he's like, what, are you going to become his disciple too? And because he knew that they wouldn't be. But he, his testimony of what God was doing in his life spoke of Jesus. Uh, and I, you know, two chapters later, you have uh, where Lazarus is raised from the dead. And a couple times in that passage, people said to Jesus, look, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died because they knew that Jesus could heal him. But Jesus had, Jesus told them at the very beginning, he told the disciples this, the reason I'm doing this, it's not for Lazarus to die ultimately, but so that I can be glorified. What does that mean? It, it means that so that I can be lifted up so that the right thoughts of me can be seen so that I can be, the truth of me can be reflected in this situation. And so, yes, he could have. But basically what he's saying is there's things about me that no one could know unless he dies. So how does that relate to us? Well, sometimes in, there's things in our lives that we have to go through for God to be seen for who he is. Sometimes that's personally, that we won't see God for who he is until we meet this roadblock. And sometimes it's it's public, that people won't see God for who he is until they see us go through that roadblock. Um, 
And, and in that case, well, one of the things we see is, does he have the power over death? Yes, he does. He has the power to raise the dead. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And that, that tells us by faith that we can have that life. But another thing it shows us is, you know, people know this about John 11. It's just, there's the shortest verse in the Bible there. Jesus wept. Right. And to me, it's by the text. He sees Mary and Martha and his friends weeping over the death of Lazarus. And to me, it's obvious that what what happens when he's weeping is obviously he knows Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, but he is hurting with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, does that say a lot about God? I mean, think about that, that God cares enough about us that he weeps with us even when yeah. he knows ultimately it's really not that big of a deal because I'm going to fix it in not very, a couple of minutes from now. But because he saw the pain that they were going through, it yeah, hurt his he, heart. Because he loved him, that kind of grief was something that he shared. We're on with Jeremiah Clark, uh, an evangelist who's currently going through a pretty serious case of colon cancer. And uh, we're talking about kind of the age-old question. Uh, if God is is so good, why does He allow good or how, why does He allow bad things to happen to good people? If you want to hear the rest of this interview, which you should, uh, you're going to have to head over to our podcasting services. They're everywhere that you can find them at Apple and on Spotify. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. So the question that a lot of people would probably throw back into talking about, well, you know, if Christ is really grieving alongside, you know, Mary and Martha and is really upset that, you know, Lazarus has gone through that and he's sharing in their grief, well, why didn't God just stop it? You know, why didn't God just keep, you know, that horrible situation from falling to Lazarus? Or why didn't God keep that from, you know, this whole thing from falling to you? They might make the case, well, if you're an evangelist, then certainly, you know, wouldn't God want you kind of running around the country doing this? And kind of before long, you see the person asking the question, kind of making the case, why didn't God do something in a way that makes more logical sense to me? Okay. Um, somebody pointed this out to me recently because I'm a person that I don't often talk about the, the negative things that are going on. Uh, I don't often talk about the side effects. I don't often talk about the difficulty because I don't want to come across as a, a whiner. I, I just like, well, it's, it's my life. Um, but they said that does a disservice to, to what God's doing. Because if you don't explain how difficult it is that you're going through bad times, then it may not appear that you're going through that difficult a time. Or it may come across that you're but, ungenuine or ingenuine because everyone knows you're going through rough times, but you know, there's this idea that, well, if we can just tiptoe through the tulips and whistle past the graveyard and it, it, it kind of comes across as fake. That it doesn't exist. Fake. Yeah. Yeah. And so he said one of the reasons why God does do this in a believer's life is so that people can see that the believer has a hope. They, they have an anchor. They have um, something to get them through these difficult times. And... And, and, I, and I thought, well, that's 100% true because, again, I have hope. There's questions that I haven't asked because I'm like, well, I have hope. I have peace because I have the Lord. I have answers in Scripture, and they have not failed me through this. There, there is, In fact, they have been strengthened through this. 
you know, we have a we have a mutual friend who who sings a song about when his mother was going through something similar. Um, you know, are you only you know good when we're happy? I, I don't remember all the lyrics, but the, the entire point of the song is: Are you only gracious and just and all of these good things when my life is is going the way that I want it to go? Right. And the and he he ended up kind of expounding on this a little bit later uh, that he could not imagine going through some of these things without Christ. He couldn't imagine. Absolutely going through the struggles, you know, with, with his mom and, and his, with his dad and all the medical conditions that he's facing without uh, leaning on Christ. I think you're right. That like the reason that we go through things is because part of the reason is the world needs a shows window. a contrast. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine going through uh, when Bethany was dealing with preeclampsia and I was sitting there in the hospital and I was wondering like, is everything going to go okay? There's all this chaos around there. And I just, without even thinking about it, I had Christ to lean on. I could talk to him yeah. immediately. Right. And I can't imagine not having that. So I think you're right. When you have things that are, you know, you have negative things and things that you're struggling for too. The world needs to know that like, dude, you have a peace and access to a yeah. peace that passes all understanding. And it's not just a catchphrase. It's not just a motto yeah. or a metaphor. Like they need to know that like we genuinely have access to something real to get us and through. And going back stuff. to that, Right. Going back to that question, why? If I'm asking that question, why? I have an answer. God has a purpose in every plan. God has a purpose in every circumstance. And so I may not know what that purpose is for mine, right? I, I may not understand it, but I know that he does. And, and that is one of the answers that Job had. Job, Job explained, he says, if I could argue with God, and he's not saying, you know, in a, an angry way, he's just saying, if I could give my case to God. God, I don't understand why you're putting me through this. Mm -hmm. He says, I know that he would have an answer for me and that he would put strength in me. And he says, even though I go left and I go right and I go forward and backwards and I'm looking for God in my situation and I can't find him, his answer is this. He says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he's tried me, when he's put me through this, I will come forth as gold. And that was, that was where Job's faith was, was that, look, I don't understand but I know that God has a plan and it's going to be okay because of that. And look, even if, and, and I talked to somebody last night about this, uh, a, a preacher that, you know, for 50 years has been a preacher. And he said, I believe that Job didn't think he was going to get out of that situation, that he thought the end of this was death. Mm. But yet Job was saying, look, uh, well, he said in, in chapter 13 and verse 15, though he slay me, though he kill me, yet will I trust in him. I'm going to trust him all the way to the end. But when you know that God has a plan, it's not an that's, accident. No, that's a really powerful point, though. And I because there everyone can can resonate to a point in time in which they were driving away from something or at the end of the hard day on top of everything else that's gone wrong on top of things where you're gripping the steering wheel and you just look yeah. up and you ask why. And there's no yeah. there's no anger in it. You're not you know, shaking your fist at God. You're you're asking a genuine question out into the blue, pointed towards God. Why? I just want to. An and you're answer. saying, I don't understand. Right. And, and there's nothing. And so at that point, but the rest you have to trust something. The idea. That, Who are you going to trust? The idea that Job at that time, ages and ages ago, thousands of years ago, came to the conclusion: if I could sit down and talk with God, like like. Uh, like you're sitting down after a game and the coach is explaining things that happened in the game that you didn't see. It would all suddenly make sense. 
knowing that if I could talk to God about what I'm going through right now, his answer would be sufficient for me. That's a, yeah. dude, that's a different way of looking at it. I mean, really? Well, knowing that, well, it not only is it sufficient, it, yeah. but it's the only, you know, I, I, I ask that person who's got their hands on the steering wheel and they're, they're saying, I don't understand. Well, what or who are you going to trust? Cause you can't, you know, you, we, we were talking about this. Money is not the answer. You can't fall back. Your friends can't fix your cancer, right? Hmm. Your friends can't fix your problems. Uh, and you're the one with the problem. I can't fix my problems. I can't get myself out of it, but I do know somebody that can do all those things. And, and that's God. I would say even more than in that you were talking that, that what you're going through is not as, as rough as losing a child. And obviously you and I have known each other for decades. We've known people who have had miscarriages. We've known people sure. who have lost little ones to things from leukemia to car accidents. Um, and I, I think of a, a girl that I went to high school with who, who passed away from a fever in the middle of the night, just out of the clear blue. No one was expecting it. It was a complete shock to us at school the next morning. And we talked a, a couple of days ago when we were kind of setting up this this interview about uh, kind of the idea of, of like would someone's loss, like how do you fix someone's loss? Like if someone is dead, how do you fix that? And it's like, well, there's no earthly answer to you can't bring somebody back to life, you know? Right. And, and so that kind of grief that comes with that is you're right. Who are you going to trust? You know, no sinking yourself into money is not going to fix it. Um, you know, there's a joke that millennials like to tell. Yeah, sure. Money doesn't ha buy happiness, but I'd rather cry in a mansion. Um, and it, it's just kind of a little, you know, solipsism that we, you know, we often throw at the wall, but there really is a says the guy that. that's not in a mansion. Yeah. True. You and, know what I'm saying? Like when right. you get there, you, you change your mind real quick. I think of the, there's a, com, there's a comedian and actor that just died in Ma Matthew Perry, who was, who was Chandler on, on friends. And, sure. uh, yeah. he struggled through addiction for a, a long time, but he used to talk about how like, you know, getting a really big check and didn't make him happy and just, you know, basically sitting at home in the mansion that he had didn't make him happy. Yeah. And he, he always really hated that that kind of joke that kind of, again, millennials say, well, I'd rather yeah. cry in a mansion. He's like, you don't, you're chasing after something that doesn't satisfy. It's actually worse because now that you have the thing that you thought would make you happy, you don't even have hope there. It's, There's a bitterness you're, you're that has to come emptier. out of that. Yeah. You're emptier than you were before because you'd hope to be filled by that thing. And now mm. that you have that thing, it doesn't fill you. You're emptier. You have less, you have less answers in your brain of what you're going to come up with of, well, this is going to fix it. Look, God is not a genie in the bottle that he's going to give you all those things. No, but that's part of my point is that for the Christian, they can go through the brokenness, but be okay with it. You know, that was, I, 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 I've been thankful this entire time, not because of the pain, but because of what God is in the pain. I, 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 sorry, I had to, I have to back up just a little bit to the genie point. Did you know that's actually the, the origin of the mythology of the genie? Is that the point of a story of someone finding a genie in a bottle or a genie in whatever was to point out that whatever magical solutions you invent for yourself to fix your problem rarely, if ever, actually solve the problem. Because we, as, as finite, yeah. very ruined creatures, you have no idea how to fix your situation. And, and you're well, not sure that that's the mythology you have would of fix Aladdin, it. isn't it? That's it the really mythology is. of Aladdin, yeah. isn't it? Like I got everything I wanted and it was not what I needed. And not only that, but you can make a case that like it, it made it worse. Uh, you yeah. know, that like now the entire kingdom is lost and you know, Agrabah yeah. is under the, the 
tyranny of the, I sound like Jordan Peterson. Now the no, tyranny no, of the dictator is hand, and you got to rescue your dad from the belly of the whale. Well, we're talking about <laughs> mythology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, um, it really is true that, you know, we said, well, why doesn't God solve things the way that I want it to? And that there is a little bit of a humility to realizing, well, you don't know what you need. I mean, you want relief, but, yeah. you know, your your recipe for relief might not bring that at all. In fact, humanity's best, or humanity's best recipes for relief most often don't bring relief at all. Right. Well... Uh, one of the things I've been thinking the last minute of this conversation is Adam and Eve in the garden uh, thought they could find satisfaction in something that God had told them. You're not going to find satisfaction in this, so mm. don't even try it. But it's there so that you have a choice to make. Right. And look at all that I've provided around you. There's only one thing I'm saying don't do. And I'm telling you, if you do it, it's not just going to be not satisfying. It brings death. Don't do it. But they they bought the lie that, that God's withholding something from them. And, you know, we are faced with similar questions on the, on the micro and the macro every day that am I going to trust myself? Am I going to trust the lies that this system that I live in tells me? Or am I going to trust a God that I can't see and may not give me exactly what I want, but am I going to trust him that his way is best and it is the path for satisfaction. And I'm just saying as a guy who's, you know, gone through uh, some pretty extreme chemo and going through some some side effects of radiation and, right. and uh, you know, a, a, a job situation because of that, that, that look, uh, God is good and he's been good and he's not ever not going to be good. It's just I can't look at my circumstances and say, well, that's his fault. No, he's allowed it. But... The good that's come of it is is greater than the worst. And even if I even if even if I do die, like I trust him that he has my soul because that's what he told me that he would do. Um, and I have no hope outside of that. So again, imagine you know I, I I think of right now we're having a conversation. You know we're chatting, and there's someone out there that's listening to this. You know hopefully, and the, this individual that, that's sitting out there listening to this, maybe they're in a situation that that's pretty rough. Um, they're either dealing with cancer, they're dealing with some kind of a sickness. Uh, maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they're genuinely just depressed because a lot of things have gone wrong. And they, they hear what you're saying and they, they say, that makes sense. How do I get from where I am to where you are? Not where you are with like everybody showering you with love and affection. How do I get to the point from being at, at what I feel right now is rock bottom, answerless, hopeless, to a point where you have found peace in the middle of this storm? Because that's the real question. And sure. we gloss over this way too much. Like, how do I actually start moving in the direction so that I, could, I can be in a place where you're dealing with this the way that you are? Well, I try to simplify everything. I try to go, what's the most basic, simple thing I can do? And I think in that uh, is go to truth. Go to where you know truth is. And the God's word says, thy word is truth. And so... I would say, get to the Word of God. And how do I do that? Well, I can read it. You can read, I would say read Job, but a lot of Job is very, very difficult to read. Uh, yeah. You can read the book of John. I've, I've referenced that a few times. Um, that's one way, is to read it on your own. A, a second way is to find someone that you know that knows the Bible. Not someone, they know about the Bible, but they are someone who is in it. And and yeah, that's probably going to be somebody at a church, probably a pastor. Um 
and and get help from them because yeah, it's a big book. There's uh, where do I find my answer in that? Um, right. It's well, intimidating, especially that, when cracking oh, you know, yeah. people crack open Genesis and they're like, all right, I've read this. It's cool. I believe a lot of this stuff. Sure. Right. But like, where am I going? What am I doing? And that's why finding someone that has that answer um, would would be uh, would be my next piece of advice. And, you know, there's plenty of pastors out there that do preach God's word and get involved in that church, because that way you have more than just a pastor. You, you have people. And that's part of that community that God has designed is it's a community of, of love. I'm going to interject because while I, I absolutely agree, obviously, I, I think that there's I was talking to a few people over the last couple of weeks who have been frustrated because I've kind of given them kind of a, a, a vague uh, kind of a synonymous version of that advice. And what they've hit back with is. Well, where do I even go to find a church like that? Where do I go to find somebody like this? Because, you know, they'll drive by, you know, a, a church that's got the pride flag draped sure. over it. And it's not actually saying anything from scripture. And, and they, they're, I, I don't want anything to do with this. Or, um, and that's what one individual told me. Another one's like, look, I, I've been burnt by a church. I don't even know what kind of, what kind of adjective does the church need to have in its name? And, and how do I just walk in and say, I need help? Because that's usually where I, I find that people get kind of stuck. I don't know, maybe I, I missed sure. something when I was in college is like I'm supposed to kind of slap an answer on there, but I don't know if I'm comfortable just saying, well, the church obviously needs to have this specific word in its name in order to, you know, to actually yeah. help you out. And and that's not always helpful either. Right, I mean, right. a, a guy could say uh, XYZ denomination is going to point you in the right direction, but even the, the I don't know if I'd call it denomination that I'm involved with, just because that title, that name is in the title, doesn't mean that they're going to be following God's word. Now, I, I would say, uh, it has a higher success cuff. rate because that's I, I. So for for those out there that may not know, I'm we're independent fundamental Baptists, which you know means that the scriptures, the core sole authority of of how a lot of the church is governed. And I'm I'm saying this to a a Bible college graduate with a ministry degree. I'm about to get slapped because I'm skipping a lot of steps. I'm always scared no. by the way that someone from Maranatha is going to hunt me down and tell me that I'm not like defining <laughs> baptism correctly. No, well, I would I would say yeah. The, not not everybody's this way that's a Baptist, but the reason that I'm a Baptist is because I believe that Baptists follow the Word of God as closely as they can. Now, right. having I, yeah. said that. I, I mean, I know on both ends of the spectrum, as far as, you know, if I see myself in the middle of a spectrum, I see people on both ends of the spectrum that I would completely disagree with. Right. And, and there's other denominations. Church, church that, as well that, you know, I mean, one independent fundamental Baptist yeah, absolutely. church may really get some, some stuff wrong. And, and on anything, your position may be great, but your practice may be horrible. And there's right. others there. Their practice may be great, but their positions are horrible. So that's why I kick that question to you. Because for, for the young guy, let's say right out of college or in college, as a young yeah. man, he maybe didn't grow up in church. Maybe he grew up in a church that he doesn't want to go back there and find answers because they don't have the answers. Where does he or she go? Like, how do you well, kind of maneuver uh, into that? Because I kind of want to just give him my email and say, look, yeah, email well, me at tony.kennett at dailysignal.com. Yeah, I would man. say that's a good start. That's I would say that's a good start is... Because, hey, if you're finding answers here and you're liking the direction that it's going, and, and what I'm saying is I'm trying to point people to the Bible, not to a person. Right. Because uh, that's what I'm going to do, is I'm just going to crack right. open the Word. And I'm not trying to point them to a, a specific 
uh, church, uh, I, what I want them is to get for them is to get Bible answers. And so, having said that, I would say, yeah, uh, in my experience, uh, where I would start is a Baptist church, but I would start online. I would I would say, hey, you know, if there's you know, search Baptist church in Indianapolis. Okay, well, click on that website and and. You know, a lot of times you can tell what they're trying to communicate about themselves by their pictures. You don't have to go very far into that website to see, look, they're trying to show themselves as an entertainment complex or they're trying to show themselves as whatever. But if communicating scripture is one of the things that they're doing in their mm-hmm. opening paragraph explaining who they are, hey, that's a place that I would at least try. That doesn't mean they're going to be friendly, but it, if you head down that path you're going to find something. And, and this is just a true statement. This is one of the miracles of God. If you're seeking truth, you're going to find it. Like God will put you on that path. Like you you don't even have to pray it, but I would say, yeah, pray it. God lead me to the to the church that I need to be at. And and you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to meet somebody at a store somewhere and they're going to invite you to a church. Dude, Start how many stories, there. How many stories do we have oh. like that at this point? I mean, the repertoire of those examples okay. of, I was like, God, just send me Can somebody. I tell you one? Yeah. Can I tell yeah, you one? Go, because I okay. have one in, in the barrel so, too. I have, to, I have to hide some of this story because it could get the guy in trouble. So I was explaining this point from scripture, and I used an illustration in a church in Illinois there was a guy there. I didn't know anything about him, but he stayed after the service and he's asking me questions. And, and I said, well, you know, tell me about you. And, and he said, well, he said, I've only been in America for a week now. And I was like, really? And I, he said, uh, yeah, I'm from Pakistan. Well, Pakistan is not a friendly country to America. That is, that uh, is true. Yeah. I've, uh, I looked at visiting there and basically the state department says, don't go there. And if you do, don't plan on us helping you. And so he said, yeah, so we don't have churches like this in Pakistan because they're they're majorly Islamic. And he said, so, but years ago, a couple of years ago, maybe a couple of months, I don't remember, he said that he just felt like Islam wasn't for him. And so he didn't really think anything of it, but he just felt empty with that. And so he said, he said, I was look, scrolling on Instagram, looking at girls. And he said, uh, a screen came up with just words. And those words were love is patient, love is kind, love does not behave itself unseemly from 1 Corinthians. But it didn't say it's from 1 Corinthians. And he was like blown away with the truth of those words and what love really is. And he was like, who wrote this? Uh Like, this is amazing. So he said, I copied it and I pasted it in a Google search. He said it came up Bible. And so he's like, wow. So he's like, I went back to Instagram and he said, I started subscribing to these sites that would send me scripture on a daily basis. And so he's like, I'm, you know, reading scripture and I'm, you know, just fascinated with it. And so he said, so I'm coming to America to go to college. And he said, I've only been here a week and I was staying in another Pakistani's house and he kicked me out because he had other people coming in. He said, so I didn't have any place to stay. He said, but I knew these two guys because I guess he's going to college with them. And he's like, hey, can I crash at your place? So they're like, yeah. He said, that was yesterday. He said, so I asked them, I couldn't ask my Pakistani friend. He goes, I know we're in America, but bad things still happen. And because he's basically like, they'll kill you. Right. And well, the part that I can't say specifically, his dad is a very high government official official in Islamabad. And so, oh, wow. I, I, yeah, right, right. So, but here's a guy who is seeking God. 
Because he asks him, he says, do you guys know of a church that I could go to? And they're like, well, you can come to ours. So they brought him to church and there I am preaching and I'm giving an explanation on how when you seek God, God makes sure you find him. And he, is, he was like, he was almost scared because of what he was seeing God doing in his own life. Like he was like, that's what's happening to me right wow. now. Because he's like, how did I get to this church? I barely know these guys. I've been in America a week. And and, and he's explaining to me the process of God revealing himself to him. And I told him that. I said, look, you're looking for God. You're looking for real. You're looking for truth. And God is saying, it's me. And God's not forcing it on you. He's giving it to you. Now, I don't, I haven't heard a thing from that guy because I, I since I travel, I can't. I yeah, can't keep tabs with everybody. Hover over people all over the country. So it's basically I told the pastor, the pastor had a conversation with him. I think he went out to eat with him. And everybody has to make their own decisions. Right. And it's a big decision for him because that means either he doesn't go back to uh to, to Pakistan, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. or he loses everything and he knows that. He knows that if I do that, in fact, I mean I've read plenty of books. You're signing your own death warrant. Oh, that's uh, because they will They'll kill you, dude. It, it's it's incredible the number of individuals who have who have left uh, who have left Islam or even who have left a lot of like Orthodox Judaism circles, and I mean like the families either hold funerals or just like cease to acknowledge that someone exists. Or you're right, like in like a lot of Shia Muslim families, it's like if you see them, kill them, and it's 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 very it's if they find out in your family, they're like you're not my child anymore. Right, you're not my oh, brother. Yeah. And yeah, it's like an honor for me to kill you. Oh, it's an honor. Yeah, it's it's an honor for yeah. me to to kind of lay you at, at the feet for my purity, which is is again it is, wild. It's not hard to see that. I mean, hello. Uh, it's not the same, but it's very similar with Hamas and Israel. It's the right. same thing, right? And well, I mean, again, it's it's uh, I, you know, people have talked about this, but uh, the way that Hamas treats um, like Sunni Muslim soldiers that fight in the IDF in the Israel Defense Force. And like wow. they, what they do to those that are captured or killed is, uh, I I can't begin to describe them on the air because of how yeah, atrocious sure. those things are. But but to your point, there are so many cases in which that you and I can refer to, and goodness, we would be at at a loss for time to list the number of of times that when someone has has prayed and they've asked God, I need truth. I need to find, send me somebody who's going to show me what to make of this book that's in front of me that I'm reading and I don't really yeah. understand. I mean, that's, that's literally how one of the greatest evangelism stories in the New Testament starts. And there's yeah. a guy yeah, sitting there, some Ethiopian eunuch official dude, and he's just sitting there reading the Bible. And he's like, I really wish someone would, un- would you know, explain this to me. And then, boom, Poof. instantly, yeah. God provides someone to explain everything to him. So I, that's, that's the right answer. And it's not something like, I haven't been like teeing this up for you to say a certain number of things. This is just kind of what pops into my mind because these are what, these are things that I'm told semi-often, you know, when I yeah. have conversations with dudes either on the political right or independents who are just regular average Joes or Jills in Indiana who, you know, they just want answers. And they know that what's being advertised to them on social media and, and other media 24-7 just ain't providing. It's amazing the availability out there to get information and yet, uh, you know, even the truth, it's, it's there. But how hard it is now to discern the truth mm. or uh, because there's so much disinformation out there. And, yeah. and you've got one guy calling the other guy disinformation and they both might be, you know, it's 
it's it's amazing. But that's where I feel like in this day of ambiguity of truth, the word of God becomes more salient because it, mm. it is not trying to placate anyone. You know, it is trying to bring a sword of clarity that that this is this is what's right this is the way you ought to live and yeah people don't like it but i have a feeling that the pendulum will swing back where people are gravitating toward uh, something that is solid and that is definitely the well, word of god i mean we, thousands we of years it hasn't changed there are, there are studies out and you know we could talk about this uh probably another time that you know generation z they say is set to be you know, the most traditionalist or the most conservative and they like attach something but like the counterculture right now is to like seek after truth. And I was talking, I can't remember who it was that I was discussing this with a couple of weeks ago that um, when when you were in high school up through when I was in high school, um, you would kind of, you know, do some stupid things in your high school and college years. And then a lot of people would kind of decide, yeah, these things aren't really satisfying. And then as they got older, they would drift towards you know conservatism and seeking a more solid foundation to stand on and that's why the voting electorate tends to get more conservative as they get older but we're seeing this situation now in which a lot of young guys in high school like the counterculture is to seek after some kind of truth or, or again something that works and i've seen a lot of guys at least there's a, 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 another mutual of ours um that's talked to these young guys you know who are just playing on a basketball team and they've dabbled in reading scripture and they've dabbled in, you know, going to church and they find out that it's incredibly satisfying and they're hooked on it. And it, yeah. that it's such a young age to, to be set up with such a solid core of truth and, and what it if does you for your find, life. If you find a good church, which it's amazing how many bad ones there are out there. And right. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't mean that gloatingly, my heart breaks that there say, are that many. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's bad leadership. There's people in it for the wrong reasons. There's, I talked to a lady at, when I was getting chemo and, and her husband was getting chemo. And, you know, I was asking her, what do you do for, for hope? You know, and, and she said, I find God in nature. And I was like, you know, in the birds and the plants. And I was like, man, they're not giving you much hope. No. You know, they're, they're dead in a season. Um, and I said, well, do you have a church? And she said, you know, she t she just she gave me two really sad examples of things that she's found in church in her life. And I thought, you know, I hope that that's not the norm that people are finding when they go to church is a bunch of gossipers or or leadership that's borderline abusive or not really willing to help. That that's not been my experience by a long shot. Now, right. I mean, I, I've been I've been in ministry. I I've seen them, but I've not been a part of any of them. And I know that in America, yeah, yeah, you have some bad. You know, you go to a bad restaurant now and again, but you don't stop going to restaurants, right? Uh, you get some bad service, but that doesn't mean all waiters and waitresses are bad. You you know, you just go to, you find another one and you say, hey, you know, this is this is what now. If every restaurant I go to, there's a problem with, I need to start looking in the mirror because maybe it's me, you know, uh, maybe yeah. it's not them. Um, but I just do not find that to be the case with with the churches that I've been experiencing is is that they do reach out. They do care for you. They do love you. And and again, what am I going to look for? I'm going to look for truth because my life needs help. Um, 
And usually when you find a church that is willing to give you truth, regardless of how it sounds to your ears, you find a community of people who realize, hey, my life needs help too, and I'm trying to find a place of truth and, uh, a, and, and a place of love. And, and uh, they're out there because, because God is real. And that's who he is. He's a God of truth and he's a God of love. So I don't know that I've given you great answers, Tony. <laughs> I don't I, know I, that I, I've given any, any help, but if I could be an encouragement to, uh, to you or people, I look at you and I say, Tony, you're, you're still young. Um, your friends, you're about to hit a couple of decades where your friends are going to go through some of the same things I've gone through. And you and your family, and it's sad to say, but that's part of life is illness and death. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's realville. And so you have to have truth going into those issues or you're going to have your boat rocked pretty hard when you live. And I'm not saying you do, but when people live on things that aren't true, their boat gets rocked harder because everything that they've rested on as a foundation is crumbling below them and uh, they're looking for that i i think that's i, I think that's a, a great i don't know how to, to set it up as is kind of a reminder of reflection that because those things are coming that i need to be far more prepared than i am you know not just to you know to listen and you know say man i'm really sorry that's happening to you but also to again provide a bit of that window to, to peace. And I, I think about the uh, that letter that the atheist Christopher Hitchens wrote. Um, it may, I think it was Christopher Hitchens, or maybe it was, uh, no, maybe it was Sean Penn who wrote the letter that, you know, said, if you really believed that, you know, people were dying and going to hell, why aren't you spending every second of your day pleading with people and, and yeah. sharing? It was a Sean Penn. Did I have that right? Uh, what, what is his name uh, with Penn and Teller? Sean Penn, right? And that, is, is it, it Sean, Sean Penn? Is Sean Penn the director? I'm not sure. Well, either way, that the pen from Penn and Teller, he made that. Yeah. He made that case. Yeah, I've just, heard him say that. Just for me personally, that's kind of, you know, when I consider, again, that in the next several years that, again, people that I know very close to me and family are going to be going through that, it's, uh, it's incumbent on me to, to have more than just kind of the soft sympathies of, of fellowship through struggles. Yeah, I understand what he's saying. But even if a person did go around and do that, people wouldn't believe. No, that's no, almost I, the. Uh, I don't want. I'm not trying to give almost the thought that he. That he no, and he, he meant that. Like, he well, meant that in I a very scornful. Yeah, he meant that in a very yeah. scornful way. It's not going to change him. No, if a hundred people did what he thinks they should do, it no. wouldn't change who no, he it is. Wouldn't. And that's not the, the the point that I'm making though is that it, it just it's a subtle reminder. And I, I had a professor in college who said this who said this too. Um, that you know there are a lot of other faiths that take their, or there are a lot of other beliefs or a lot of other religions that take their faith more seriously than we do, um, and that I am just thinking about like there are a lot of times that maybe I could have shared a verse or some more direct truth and a window to that piece than just a hey I'm really sorry that you're going through this send, and then that's kind of the only you know the only comfort that I am in that situation I guess that's that's kind of more of what I was drawing out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I try to encourage guys like you hit that almost 30, 30 stage and you can just mark it down. Like people that, you know, in their thirties and forties, they're going to get sick. They're going to die. Your parents are going to get sick and they're going to die. <laughs> Sounds morbid, but I'm like, people, that's reality. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't, I told my wife a long time ago, I don't want to be surprised by these issues. And then almost in a, an emotional panic, what do I do? Right. Um, I want to be prepared so that, I mean, I hate that feeling of panic so that oh, I'm yeah. never in that situation. Um, you know, it's just like, why do you have an emergency fund in your bank account? So that when I do have an emergency, I'm not scared out of my mind. What am I going to do about this? It doesn't I, mean I that I'm have... absent from the frustration of the event that caused the access to the emergency sure, funds. But I have a sense of peace right. because I've got an answer. And and I'm not seeking an, a, an emotional answer. I'm seeking for an answer of truth. You know, what's going to help me through this? And so in any time, in any type of situation, it's like, well, Lord, I've trusted you before. I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to trust you. Through. The, the answer holds true. The, there's like, we can go back to what I thought said earlier. There is no hope in anything outside of Jesus Christ, but with him, he can do anything. And he, and he has promises for just about everything. There is no more ultimate hope than the one who can do anything and has given himself to me. Uh, and has given himself to, to, to every person. But that takes a, a relationship of faith. And people do feel bad when, well, I, I never go to God, but now that I've got a problem, I do go to God. So they feel guilty. And then they're like, well, then I shouldn't do it. No, <laughs> no. Uh, the no, thief on the, the cross. He wasn't ready it to was say his last of, resort. Half of the, the people that Jesus encountered in his earthly ministry are people coming to him because they're in desperate need of something. Yeah. And that's one of his calls. You know, yeah. come to me. My, my, uh, my burden is easy and my yoke is, is light. Yeah. Better now than never. I mean, do it when you can do it. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't wait. <laughs> I wouldn't wait until those yeah. times come. I don't, That's I for don't sure. think that God made you expecting that you weren't going to need him in, in the troubles. I feel like that's... Uh, that's uh, Yeah, and I don't think anybody lives their life like nothing's ever going to go bad. But I do think that sometimes we mm. don't... Uh, we, we, well, we do live in a culture that tries to soften every blow and tries to create... Uh, some way around, but there's just no way around those things. They do happen. So I, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Anytime, Tony. I appreciate you having me. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC.